Good morning and welcome to Burn After Pitching, the comedy pitching podcast where we have a panel of creators on to discuss and pitch their ideas on everything from movies, TV shows, ice cream flavors, anything we want to for the subject of the episode. I'm the host, Michael Tanner, I'm co-creator of Junior Braves of the Apocalypse and co-writer of the new comic Orcs in Space. And joining me on this episode, we have Andy Nordville. Hello. Oh, hey, I'm Andy Norval. I am a writer slash stuff doer. All my stuff's at andynorval.com. I am so glad summer is here. And Sandra Demas. Hey, um, I, I'm Sandra Demas, and I'm an editor. I am also a dancer. And you know what? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Hey, it's Sandra D. And I, too, am happy for summer and all kinds of shenanigans. And joining us for the first time on this episode, Mr. Justin Peniston. Hi, um, I'm Justin. I am a writer of things. Um, I write, I am the co-creator and writer of the hard-boiled fantasy webcomic Hunter Black. Um, we are coming up on our 10-year anniversary. Um, it is uh, a labor of love for William Orr, my partner and I. Um, I am a co-host of the Popsicle that's P-O-P-S-K-L, uh, podcast group. Um, we have been putting up podcasts with uh, fan-based press, uh, first Ooh. doing uh, an analysis of the Sandman comic series, and now we're in the middle of releasing our uh, podcast on The Expanse. And uh, I am currently a, free, a freelance writer, and I'm working on the upcoming Netflix cartoon, Sonic Prime. Excellent. Thank you so much for being Hi. on the show. So Thanks, here Pat. we are... Like you guys said, it's summer. It's the month of July. Um, th- it is hot. It's very, very hot here in California and the West Coast and on the East Coast and in the Middle Coast. This I is our future. Isn't it like on hot Earth. in the Arctic? Every, everything's hot. Yeah. But um, there's, there's no, no escaping it now. But you know what we have had to look forward to here in the month of July? We've had to look forward to the new Marvel movie, Marvel's Black Widow, over a year in the hopper, we've been waiting for it. <laughs> New. Now it's close. out. New with uh, a, over a year of world events to uh, to uh, uh, help us evaluate this new motion picture. So Black Widow, big Marvel movie. Is, that, are, are, is everyone excited to see it? Is everyone wanting I'm to see very it? very excited. Is this, it's phase four, isn't it? Is it? Or is it the last gasp of phase three? I think it's. Technically, a phase three movie, especially because it's set before Infinity War and Endgame. I heard it's technically a phase four, and we won't know why until it's released, which is why they didn't want to do it in like the home video thing. But we shall see. Mm, we'll see. I'm I'm very much looking forward to David Harbour as a Red Guardian because uh, I think I think that's going to be a hoot and a holler. Uh, I'm not crazy about the Taskmaster design because I'm old school and I want the skull Halloween mask in the hood. Um, but you know I, I appreciate that that it exists and I'm looking forward to uh, the torch being passed to Florence Pugh. Yeah, or perhaps already has been passed. If you believe all the face swapping stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, that's all. We, haven't we learned from WandaVision? <laughs> haven't we learned our lesson that fan specula- speculation is always ridiculous, and that they go for the um, the easiest explanation is the one to go with? That's what Metaphisto wants you to think. <laughs> Metaphisto. Uh oh. <laughs> A Mephisto. <laughs> no, there's, 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 a, there's a new Metaphisto. villain in Mephisto. Uh, killed you with meta commentary. <laughs> All right, so Black Widow. Uh, <laughs> obviously, it's a big tent pole picture. 
it needs product tie-ins. And our panel has been tasked with pitching product tie-ins <laughs> into this Black Widow movie. Who would like to go first? We'd be happy to, because mine might be underwhelming, because it's one of those, like, they better make this if they have half a brain in their head, which is, of course... <laughs> Nerf Black Widow Stingers. I'm going to call back maybe the best Marvel tie-in product that has ever existed was the Spider-Man Silly String Web Shooter. Like Perfect, yes. I think it came out too late for me, but like the second you saw it, the kid inside you died a little because it wasn't around when he was alive or she. And, you know, girls, they need their like super cool thing that shoots stuff. And I say have Nerf Black Widow stingers that like, you know, go around your wrist and they shoot the little Nerf things. Practical and uh, realistically going to be a product or should be a product that they use to tie in. All right. That's a good one, Andy. All right. Who would like to who would like to pitch theirs? I will go. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If Sandra wants to, I will (laughs) go for it. Okay. Um, so my pitch is goes from let's just say we're going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, <laughs> because you know, Andy's product was a real potential thing that will probably happen. Uh, whereas mine, I'm here to pitch Black Widow Marriage Council. <laughs> um, and my thinking is this you know, if we're in a, it's really more husband counseling than marriage counseling, but you know, if one of the spouses, counseling. I mean, that's one, marriage counseling, let's be honest. <laughs> If um, if one of the spouses has rage issues, she's always ready with a lullaby. You know, the sun's going down and, you know, everyone's time to be calm. Um, she knows how to end conflict quickly with a little, you know, figure four, scissor kick, catch you by the neck and put you on the ground. Yeah. Um, she has a reasonable payment schedule because she's used to having red in her ledger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, oh you know, I thought if push comes to shove, they call her Black Widow for a reason. She can certainly eliminate a problem spouse, make it look like an accident, and allow her client to live up to her name. So, Melania, I- call her. <laughs> I'm sorry? Sorry to get political, but Melania, call her. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're begging you. So that is my product, Black Widow Marriage Council. Nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay, Sandra. All right. So I was going to say something stupid like uh, KGBBQ. Um, just That's so good. Uh... There is <laughs> going to say something brilliant like KGBBQ. Yes. <laughs> All I right. Well, cool. I guess we'll run with that one then. <laughs> KGBBQ, it's like a Korean barbecue, but um, with a Black Widow uh, twist to it. So I think there'll have to be a lot of really cool themed um, meats and veggies that you can grill. And um, I think that there should be some really cool drinks like with um, ice, like like a soul stone inside of that ice. And it's got red for like Red Guardian, just basically what you see um, on the Avengers campus. But with a more elevated um, pellet. So that's why it's got the KG BBQ and the alcoholic beverages. That's it. All right. Okay. I wonder what Black Widow themed kimchi would be. Mm. Um, It's got that spice, you know? You know, you got to have to have a kick. It definitely yeah, has to have a big. kick, like really spicy I mean, red peppers to it. You, you you got, yeah, red peppers, but you also have to use yeah. Russian cabbage. Yes, totally. That's an obvious one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, we just went for a Korean barbecue yesterday. It was amazing. It's yeah, I might have closed. For I a might. While. 
I know. I, I might have been hungry when I was thinking of this. And also <laughs> that was probably one of the first things, actually it was the first thing that I did coming out of quarantine. And when things started opening up, I went for Korean barbecue and I was so excited to smell like meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's in everything. I, yeah. It does. I'm like, I smell delicious. Oh, yeah. L.A. has good green barbecue. Oh, yes. Yes. All right. I've decided I'm going to jump in on this one. I originally did not come up with one, but I thought of I thought of a tie in because this whole um, I always use this in the opening spiel, which is the ice cream flavors that comes from one of our early episodes where we had to pitch an ice cream flavor tie in for the Venom movie. Because uh, oh, yeah. I always love when they do ice cream flavor tie ins with movies. Uh, my favorite of all time was Baskin Robbins Shrek ice cream, which was just, uh, what I believe was worms and dirt. Uh, which was the, <laughs> I, I forget what flavor, it might have been like bubblegum flavor uh, ice cream, but the topping was like crushed up Oreos as the dirt and then gummy worm. Um, so I, in a similar vein to that, I would do a Black Widow Baskin Robbins flavor, which would be uh, just uh, bubblegum flavored ice cream, crushed up Oreos and uh, gummy spiders. Oh, okay. Mm. There we I go. Almost, the, the dirt makes sense because she's dead. Yeah. I <laughs> almost buried. did an ice cream flavor. I was gonna do sour <laughs> cherry rugula. Ooh, okay, mm. okay. But I had to I had to pitch the stingers, you know. The stinger I, the stingers made a lot of sense. I and Very I'm sure Kevin Feige is listening, so I mean I, I mean I hope he is. I mean that's the whole reason I do the show, Andy, is is in the hope that Kevin Feige is listening. Yeah, I, I support you in your belief. Well it's good. It's good. All I can think now is that he's heard my marriage counseling pitch and has resolved to never hire me. So <laughs> Really? See, I kind of expect that to be the next uh Disney Plus Marvel show. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Like Black Widow retires and opens up a marriage counselor. I want them to do like the crazy, crazy Disney Plus show because you know they, there's room for it. You know, like like do the marriage counseling or do the you know adventures of uh oh gosh I'm forgetting Randall Park's FBI guy but I love him so much I want him in everything. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Woo. Jimmy Woo. Yeah, the adventures of Jimmy Woo. You know, he teams up with the ex-con team from Ant-Man. Like, you know, it's probably not big enough a name, but wouldn't that just be the best series? If you put Jimmy Randall Park and Michael Peña in the show, I would totally watch it. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're and awesome. Throw in Cat uh, Dennings. Throw in, throw in Darcy. I was going to say, throw in Cat Dennings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could, it could be them hanging out in a diner and just sort of like arguing about various aspects of the MCU. And I would watch it religiously. It'd, it'd be fun if they were quote unquote undercover. It was just a, a an unrelated sitcom with those actors. Uh, that was about them working in an office or something. Uh, but everyone thinks, oh, they're undercover. So everyone thinks that it's going to be tied into the Marvel Universe. But really, it's just a standard sitcom. They never refer to anything in Marvel. They never like do anything else. It's all in the fans' heads that the characters are undercover. But you have to throw in puns every once in a while oh. just to get them going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And just like little winks to the audience. Yeah. That just like yeah. get the speculation machine. Metaphisto yeah. like, you know, shows up. Metaphisto, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, one of their clients is Hydra, but it turns out just to be hydraulic carpet cleaning. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and let's say Justin, I like your pitch because I'm thinking of the Black Widow from Winter Soldier. She was like really cool at like dishing out the good advice. You know, it mm-hmm. was indeed. Which and n- obviously, I have not yet seen Black Widow, but uh, I still think Winter Soldier is her best film. You know, her best outing mm-hmm. in the MCU. Yeah. Well, and I think for marriage counseling, it's helpful that you don't judge your spouse by their worst action. 
And that's what she stands for. What Black Widow stands yeah. for. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's brings it. That brings it to a new level, Sandra. From the ridiculousness <laughs> back to the spot. Yeah. <laughs> See, Justin, you say ridiculous. We say brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Some say madness. Others say genius. There's a fine line. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about the big counseling school. Mad. We've talked about the big tentpole move, Black Widow, based on a classic mm-hmm. comic book character. You know what? You know what we need, folks? We need movies based on more obscure comic books. You know, for every for every Iron Man, there's a Men in Black. For every Batman, there's a uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, for every Superman, there is a what's another obscure comic? Mystery Men. Huh? Into the Galaxy. A lot of Marvel ones started out as like obscure or mid tier. I mean, you know, even but they're Iron still Man from a, they're still from a big public. They still they still are starting from a place of strength. Oh, okay. we're gonna get into it. Some deep obscure comic book adaptation. We have plunged into the dollar bins at our local comic book store to find the perfect, forgotten, obscure, less known comic book to really bring into the forefront in a major motion picture. Our panelists will be pitching their obscure comic book movie. Who would like to go first? No one. <laughs> I, mean, I went first last time, so I want to share share the first position, you know? Uh, Sandra, would you like to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Um, All right. So a comic that I would love to see come to life is Bitch Planet. Yeah. All right. So so tell us about Bitch Planet. Uh, Pretend we've never read it. We don't know anything about it. Tell us all about it. Oh, you know, this is, I think, the best thing that you can do when telling someone about a film or book or whatever is to have that strong tagline and the tagline that image comics has for bitch planet is think margaret atwood meets inglorious bastards now margaret margaret atwood is who wrote um handmaid's tale um so this story is about really your it's it's set in like this um women in prison sci-fi exploitation rip that's what they that's how they describe it so you've got these women in prison and they're in prison for being non-compliant so this is a very anti-feminist movement that has put a lot of women in prison for things like not complying to certain gender norms um not being uh well i mean like even for trans women and stuff so there's a lot of um things going on within society at that time it's so so degraded that women are uh, highly 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 likely to be incarcerated um if they are slightly feminist even in like like think 1950s way if you're anything outside of that kind of standard you would be non-compliant um so what i would love to see is that come to life because it's sadly still well, like very fiction, I think. Oh, in fiction. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but but the, the reason why I want to see it come to life on, on film is because in reality, there are a lot of things going on with the women's rights that we wouldn't think are even believable in 2021. Like things have regressed and we've taken steps backwards as far as women's rights. And um, even thinking of like trans women and how other women engage, I I think of J.K. Rowling and, and taking kind of a what they would consider a, um, a turf, uh, like it's derogatory name, uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists, where that some women are even excluding other women, trans women, from the conversation from um, being considered women. So I think that this topic of being um, anti-feminist is very, very relevant. We have a lot of people who stand for a certain political party and would be for legislation and for for laws that would strip away rights for women, which is really 
um, what we see in Bitch Planet. There's a character named Whitney who is totally for um, the anti-feminist movement because it serves her. Um, and so she doesn't think of how it serves or it disserves others. Um, so for this film to come to life, um, I think it would just be so many different stories of the different women who are in prison and how they are in prison, why the things that that deemed them as non-compliant. So I kind of envision it as being something like um, Kill Bill in the, in the sense that we have these different characters, um, like the list that Black Mamba has and going through like Oriishi and, um, oh gosh, I'm free. Bill, all the different people on her list. We would see these characters on a list and we would see their stories unfold, um, but really just culminating to them escaping and them really challenging um, the structure that's set in place and overthrowing Whitney, who is wanting to continue to keep these women in prison and uh, and, and keep that anti-feminist movement alive and well. And like, this is all also set in space. So that that's another element that um, I think would make it just kind of a really visually attractive film to see something like um, Fifth Element plus Kill Bill plus Handmaid's Tale plus like Orange is the New Black season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, because Bitch Planet has, they actually interrupt the, the comics with ads that are set in that world. It's almost like what we see in WandaVision where they have like an interruption and they have commercials that are fitting of the era that they're representing. So I just think it would be complete satire, completely over the top, but also incredibly, incredibly relevant, almost like idiocracy, but I... with a, a, a slant on um anti-feminism that's what i want to say all right now so it's like a prison planet right and do they escape well you know what um this is this is what like it it ends i mean we just have like volume two and then like that's it you know right Um, yeah i I seem to remember that intend to make more but like the creator schedules like they're they're busy on other other projects right now so we don't really know when it's coming back but they want it to come back if if yeah i i hope so but there's so much to unpack that it doesn't even have to be where it's where it's left off because there are so many different characters and their stories are really fascinating like just how they got imprisoned and one one character that i like is penny roll like she's just the big badass woman and She's just super, super tough. So I like that this comic has all different kinds of women, um, all different sizes, um, and uh, trans women, uh, BIPOC women. I feel like that that alone just makes it such a really, really powerful story. Um, and then just to think of of um, kind of making fun of the things that are very real, like the things that, that we worry about and question as women, like what will be taken away from us eventually? Will things get to the point where it is like Handmaid's Tale? Because I'm just looking at Texas. It's like, that's pretty scary. Some of the things going on that, you know, it, it almost seems like if we're not paying attention, we could end up in a like a bitch planet space jail or something. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's exaggerating, yeah. but it, it kind of... It, it just kind of gets a little scary. We're lagging behind in the space travel, but in the anti-feminism, mm-hmm. I'm very worried that we frog ahead of the series. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, will we even get to the space travel portion of the story? Uh, or are we just going to be stuck in the Earth hellscape? 
Um, which oh, yeah. we're we're gonna be stuck in an Earth Helsing. We're we're all on the bitch planet, right? If we can't figure out how to treat our women, I'm sure that the aliens out there will not let us off the planet. You know, <laughs> so well, but that's you what call the Fermi paradox. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> there are aliens. They're just like you know, get your shit together first, then we'll talk. Right. Well, it's pretty crazy to think like that in this society, in in um the society in Bitch Planet that that is a very real threat for the characters. If they um, display anything that is remotely feminist, they can be sent to Bitch Planet. And like, how scary would that be? And you think of that in terms of um, certain parts of the country and how some people are not safe in those parts of the country. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to see that because I think the satire, it's like, you know, what, what they say about humor, you, you um, it's a rubber sword, you can uh, make a point without drawing blood. And I think having a satire like Bitch Planet come to um, the big screen will maybe show that point to people that it's funny, yes, but it's also hinting at things that could be, you know, an exaggeration of what's in the forefront if we don't stop it. <laughs> yeah, like, like you reference, like idiocracy, like right. Even, even at and at the point came it true. came out, yeah, <laughs> like we are closer to idiocracy now than you know any other right. time. Like we're get, we're getting closer. The, the Mike Judge made the warning, but we did not heed it. Um, right. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I used to joke in like 2015, 2016, like, oh, President Camacho. But then it got so ridiculous. I'm like, I don't want to insult President Camacho like that anymore. (laughs) He at least was smart enough to know he wasn't the smartest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He'd be telling everybody, people, the the plants are fine. They've got what plants crave. Right. Electrolytes. <laughs> but man, he, he he seemed like a wise leader compared um, to recently. Right. All right. Okay. So we've got Bitch Planet. Uh, all right. Uh, Justin, Andy, do you have your pitches? Or I could go. Whoever wants to go next. I have, my, my problem is I have two pitches, um, <laughs> but I'll narrow it down to one. Um, and I think I would like to see, this is an original graphic novel of which I'm very fond. Um, it's called The Sculptor. And it was uh, written and drawn by Scott McCloud, famously he of understanding comics and less famously for reinventing comics and making comics. Um, the Sculptor is the story of a kind of down-on-his-luck orphan who's a sculptor. He's still a relatively young man, and he had a brief moment when he could have been something in the art world. But he's got a bit of a shitty attitude, and, you know, he, he blew his chance. And now he's barely making ends meet, and he's it's his birthday. And on the day of his birthday, his uncle comes in, and he's drunk. And he and his uncle start talking and reminiscing about his life. And then he realizes and remembers, wait a second, my uncle died. And it's not actually his uncle, it is death. And death is there to make him an offer, which is, look, you can live your normal life, you can live your life out, um, but you seem so unhappy with that. So I'm here to offer you a choice. I can give you the ability to create any sculpture you want, you know, to, to but you'll only live for three months. So I'm giving you an opportunity to have three months of genius or potentially a lifetime of mediocrity. And so he leaps at the chance and takes the, the he takes the three months and gets the ability to mold solid objects to his whim, to reshape things so that he can turn a block of cement into an intricate um, sculpture in mere moments. And 
he can affect all kinds of inanimate material that way. And he is ecstatic at first and he begins working, but at the same time, he falls in love. Um, and he's faced with the fact that, oh my God, I'm in love with this woman who I care about very deeply, but I have, you know, limited, limited myself to just three months to live. And, you know, so he tries to make the most of those three months with this woman and with his talent and juggling those two things. And it's a brilliant, poignant tale of how crushing it can be to have your dreams come true and how ignorant we are, we all are, of what our dreams really are. You know, he thought he wanted to be a, a famous and and beloved sculptor, but really this orphan, this man who's who's lost his entire family, really just wanted a connection with someone. And it's it's a brutal story, you know, and it's born of McLeod's the real losses in his family and in his wife's family more more specifically um it's a gorgeously told tale i mean scott mcleod is the the first word in my opinion in comic storytelling he understands the medium and explains the medium in such a way and to see him take the lessons that he teaches and understanding comics and use those things to tell an incredibly emotionally rich story. Um, just, you know, it, it, it boggles my mind. It's super personal, you know, um, where, where Sandra's pitch, which I enjoyed and it made me feel bad that I have, you know, a couple of bitch planet trades that I still haven't read. Um, but hers deals in, you know, in big ideas that affect us today as, as, as a people. But this story is much more about how I feel or you feel or we all feel as persons. Um, but it still has, you know, these amazing, you know, fantastical tropes of, you know, making a deal with death and having a, a sudden superpower and maybe not wanting it anymore. And it's, uh, it's a brilliant, sad, well-told graphic novel that would make a hell of a movie. You know, mm. it would be really great to see someone, I don't know, maybe a slightly younger Hugh Dancy take the role of the lead. It's just a, a delightful, delightful story, you know, and it speaks really highly of, you know, what comics can do. But I think it also deserves an, an interesting film adaptation. That sounds amazing. I've never yeah. heard of the, of this book, but wow, that sounds great. Well, I it's, really want to read it now. It's, it's, it blows me away. I, I bought it. I, I want to say it came out in like 2014 or 2015. And I try to make sure I read it at least once a year. Um, it's a masterclass in comic storytelling. It's long. It is, it's one of those works where, you know, McLeod gave himself the room to breathe and tell this story. Um, and like, but it, it is a closed story. It has beginning, middle, and end. And I think it could make a good, lengthy, epic character piece, you know? Fascinating. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Le learn about a new book. Hear a, hear a great pitch for a movie version of it. That's fantastic. Um, all right. Uh, Andy, would you like to go or should I go? Um, I could go, if that's all right. Because yeah. I would like to pitch, I think, one of my favorite obscure comic characters who managed to stay obscure. I mean, I loved Swamp Thing, but he has become star of screen and TV. But uh, one of my favorites growing up, uh, known in the comic geek community, but maybe not so much outside, is The Question. Uh, I know it's DC, but I love The Question. And the question about the question is, which one do you do? Because he or she has had various interesting iterations, let's say. So 
For my pitch, I would want to do a movie about the question and take the first question and the last question and make it be an origin story for one of them anyways. Uh, I don't know how much you know about the question, but it takes place in Hub City. What is Hub City? Well, just imagine Gotham, but even shittier. There's no Batman, no Commissioner Gordon, just a bunch of poverty, crime, and corruption, and top of the corrupt list would have to be the cops. Uh, in my movie, we would meet our two heroes. First, the person who will become the new question, Renee Montoya. I'm thinking in the movie, she was once a cop, but she got harassed off the force for being gay and even worse, not corrupt. So now she ekes out a living working for an immigrant advocacy group. Uh, not a lot of cash, but at least she's actually helping people. But I also want the original OG question, Vic Sage. Um, to explain who Vic Sage is, let me just tell you this. He inspired Rorschach uh, from uh, The Watchmen. So basically, Vic Sage today would be a crackpot internet commentator who sees conspiracies everywhere, you know, except with the cops, because, of course, back the blue. And he's this, like, hardcore individualist, and he sees any collective action as this weirdo socialist plot. Uh, crime is never a problem with the system. People in poorer communities just need to obey the law, and then everything would be fine. So we have these two characters who, how should I put it, uh, are going to definitely bump heads. I mean, just side note, I want to avoid the Green Book syndrome. I don't know if you guys remember Green Book, but... Uh, it was, what was it? It was like, it was about two guys. One of them was racist. One of them was a little uptight. So they both had some growing to do. Uh, I mean, there's going to be that, but let's at least acknowledge one of them is a little worse than the other. Uh, anyways, my idea for the movie is uh, we're going to have an inciting incident of a community leader gunned down by an elite narcotics task force. They claim the leader had a gun and that they found drugs at his place, but everybody who knows this leader thinks this is crazy. Uh, Renee does some digging and she finds out the leader had his uh, office like he had some CCC cameras. He had everything videotaped. So she waits until the cops go home because she does not want to tell them that. She sneaks in to get the video footage and that's where she meets the question. This weird, faceless vigilance in a three-piece suit. Uh, and this guy already has the security system's hard drive. And he's not going to give it to Renee because he's ranting how those darn SJWs would doctor the footage and, you know, get a, a bunch of decent cops in trouble. So he's going to take it to expose the community leader for what he was. Unfortunately, the question gets gunned down by some gang members and has the hard drive taken. So we have this interesting setup. Both Renee and the question want the hard drive. Renee thinks it's going to exonerate the community leader. The question thinks it will collapse. But the question's also shot, so he has to team up with this person who's like, in a sense, everything he dislikes if he wants to get the MacGuffin, wants to get the security foot. So we got a good team up of like, the question knows how to be a vigilante, and he helps Renee. But Renee also shows the question that, hey, the world isn't quite so black and white as you think. And maybe if you talk to some people instead of roughing them up first, you might get some more, you know, you might get a little help instead of just, you know, everybody hating your guts. And also she gets a glimpse to see the question as just this sad, damaged individual who might, underneath a lot of BS, might have something redeemable. Anyways, they do track down the gang, they get the hard drive back. And it shows one of the officers planted a gun and the drugs. Vic is heartbroken. I mean, a corrupt cop. Can you imagine? But he's a man of his <laughs> word. He releases the footage online. But now, as far as he's concerned, hey, the problem solved. There was this one bad apple. And now he's caught. Everything is great. By the way, that's also what City Hall says. And it sparks a wave of protests and civil unrest, which Renee supports. And the question does not. By the way, while this is going on, the narcotics unit, the same one that uh, the bad apple belongs to, is using all this civil unrest to convince the mayor to give them access to some wonderful high-tech LexCorp anti-personnel suit. Just the thing the police force needs, more high-tech military hardware. 
but what we find out is the suit, these battle suits, they're not for the protesters because they want to take this one bad apple out because this guy is ready to flip and testify against everybody. Uh, the Renee and the question figure this out and they track down the bad apple who's in hiding and finds out he's not a bad, one bad apple. This plan was part of the whole scheme of, in the police department going all the way up to the commissioner where they were going to back one gang in the truck rate trade, force everybody else out. And then, you know, there would be hash about it. They would control the drug trade, which means, you know, less open warfare on the streets and, you know, poor communities get flooded with drugs. But, you know, who cares? Crime rates go down. The question is, of course, heartbroken. And it's weird because for once there's this conspiracy and he doesn't want to believe it. And this one's true. Uh, so, but, you know, he, he faced and to prove it, Basically, when you, when the, the rest of the unit shows up in these weird battle suits, the question and Renee have to team up to protect the bad apple so he can testify and bring the whole system down, uh, which they do. And the truth gets exposed, even though, of course, many dismiss it as fake news. But hey, at least the corrupt commissioner has to resign. The question is outraged and shaken. Uh, also, it's because even though the commissioner resigned, some people who are guilty are going to go free. And he's very much like, you know, guilty always go to prison. And Renee disagrees with Vic on a lot, but she admits... There's still a lot of corruption in the city that needs rooting out. And so in the end, Vic offers to help Renee do it as the new question. End of movie. I love the question. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The weird thing is, I don't include the one question I grew up loving. Because in between the weird objectivist Ayn Rand question and the Renee Montoya question, there was this, in the 80s, Denny O'Neill did this pretty cool, like, Zen warrior question. But yeah. he doesn't fit, you know. So I'm doing the I'm doing the old school Ditko conspiracy theory question. Yeah, it's I think it's important to point out the the question was originally originally created by Steve Ditko, who yes, also co-created Spider-Man, but also was an Ayn Rand devotee and it comes out explicitly in any <laughs> of his comics that Stanley did not clean up and make palatable. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's a real rough it's a real rough going like uh with Steve Ditko. But uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I I like the balance. Although I do have to say I'm a little wary of making that the awful question too sympathetic um, in this story. Uh, yeah, where it seems it seems to cheapen uh, like um, Renee's stance. If like sometimes the bad guy who's awful, oh, I guess it's not the bad. Sometimes the awful guy uh, is too sympathetic. It's all like like kind of like how you pointed out with Green Book. It's a little Green Booky. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think you got to either uh, file his awfulness down um, or keep it the same, but he, there's got to be a greater comeuppance and uh lesson learning on his Renee. Renee doesn't need to learn the lesson in this story. The question does. Yeah. I mean, it's more, she learns techniques, but yeah, she, she basically knows what's going on in a way that the question thinks he does, but very much does not. But there's the, the, the core of that is there. In that, you know, there's a realization that Vic Sage realizes he's maybe not fit to be the question. Mm -hmm. and, he hand, yeah. and he hands the mantle over to Renee, you know. Like, oh, I like that. I do believe that, you know, what you just described, it's it's baked in there. You know what I mean? Um yeah. Plus, I think it's important to note that there are people with some screwed up beliefs, you know, <laughs> that are often born of trauma, you know, or, or, you know, horrible experiences, you know, with, with family and parenting and whatever. And that doesn't mean those people are irredeemable. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you mm -hmm. change people. I, I think you bring people to a better place, not in groups, but one at a time, you know? And I think that this story serves not just as 
um, Renee Montoya's, you know, origin story, but also is Vic Sage's redemption story. Right. And I think, I think the, the roots are there. I think I, I, I dig what you came up with. Cool. I don't know. Maybe Vic dies I, at the end. Sort of show, how should I put it? The, the redemption by, you know, redemption by death is, a, is definitely a thing. Um, I, uh, I would say, yeah, like I, you wouldn't necessarily need to do redemption by death if he actually like, learned that not only that he was wrong but why he was wrong yeah yeah if we get if we get the question two if we get a movie where you know renee gets to be the question in the lead role yeah. then we I, I think it would be nice to see uh vic sage having to do the work of redemption that changing your mind does not redemption make you know yeah. that yeah, you gotta, actually have yeah. to do good works to balance them out, you know, and like, I, I think I, I would rather he didn't die, but, you know, was forced to do things that were hard. Yeah. And that's also like kind of in general, I think that's where media really falls down is actual redemption is hard. And so often yeah. in genre fiction, especially um, it's redemption by death or it's redemption because characters say they're redeemed. They where they actually mm -hmm. do not do anything to actually redeem yeah. themselves. There's like, yeah. oh, you're a good guy now because you did this one thing. So we're going to forget about all the other horrible things you've done, even within the context of this story. So I'm, yeah. it's big thing with Buffy the Vampire Slayer is awful with it. Uh, oh, I was <laughs> like, like Star Wars because that's Star. Oh, Star Wars, <laughs> uh, it, like all boils down to. Yeah. unearned redemption um but like <laughs> the theater had survived well, it's the, it's like, the like apologizing to the families and whatever yeah yeah it's like people forget like or people at the time he didn't do this because we didn't know this but like in the story like Darth Vader literally murdered dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of children. Like, oh, yeah. and in the movie, he did it on screen. Like, yeah. the, like, no, it's just, just tossing a guy down a, down a shaft is not a redemption. That's, that's well, like, plus, oh, I mean, at least complicit with destroying Alderaan. How many billions of people were that? <laughs> Yeah, like uh, redemption arcs are, I feel like, not as hard as people think they are. Just no one's willing to do the work of, for redemption yeah. arcs. It's true. Although I'm, really I'm very happy to be proven wrong if someone wants to point out a redemption arc done well. I hear Avatar The Last Airbender does a redemption arc pretty well with Zuvo, Zuko. Yeah, well, Zuko doesn't murder anyone, so that helps. <laughs> I think. Maybe I'm misremembering. It's tough with movies, though, because movies is all about, how should I put it, taking a big, long process and compressing it down to one thing, which is... Sure, there's not a lot of room to breathe in a movie. Yeah, which redemption, you need the long process, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and also, in, in movies, you know, because they're, they're forced to oversimplify things, part of the redemption is paying the ultimate price. You know, right. sure, Vader saves his son in the end, so he's back to the light, but he still dies. Right. You know, and yeah. as and, the sequel show, you know, he's, the rest of the, of the galaxy doesn't see him as redeemed, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of key, but I agree in general that, you know, one good, one good move, saving your own son at the end of a movie does not, uh, does not redemption make. Sandra, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it, it doesn't make that, but you know, that is a start and that is a huge leap in a character's shift. So, you know, we, we don't, we can't see the rest of it. Because one, as viewers, we fill in those blanks and, and it becomes the fuller redemption kind of in our minds. But, um, if we were to see it to its conclusion, then that 
becomes boring. There's no more tension. And now it's just the work of being redeemed. So, I mean, it's understandable that we don't see that too often, but it is cheaply done enough to say we should see better versions of it. And I agree, but I don't think we can ever really see something beyond kind of a a key moment that shows the character has shifted into something new. And obviously, obviously we know that there's more to happen, but from the story that we're seeing that is sufficient in that space. And I mean, it could be though, because the example of Darth Vader, like that to me is such a powerful scene um, because of the, because of what's happening with Luke and him him um him finding peace because he had hated his father and didn't well he hated Darth and then he hated that he was his father and then he was able to put himself aside so that Darth could have almost like a hero's death and that was showing Luke's development yeah sure Darth is kind of like being redeemed he's supposed to be redeemed but it showed a lot of what happened in Luke and him being able to kind of put um, that anger that he had, put that aside and, and be with my, you know, that right. The pivotal right. moment of return of the Jedi is when Luke decides to discard his lightsaber, you know, right. and say, uh-huh. I'm going to take the better path, you know? Right. And, you know, I'm going to be, I redeem my father by example, you know? Right. Re- and that's, walk, that's what I it really- looks like. That's what it looks like sometimes because, or I oftentimes, because, in in the real world, we don't get necessarily that full redemption from a person who is so broken and so um, uh, damaged by trauma. Like you were mentioning trauma and stuff. So they're they're so broken that they have done such terrible things. And so the redemption really is in the space that the other person creates to let that go and to let something as simple as a small act that the the um, villain does in the sense that the person doing the damage, a small act that they do, letting that be sufficient to redeem them in, in their minds because they're just letting that go. Well said. And, th- and that transitions into, all right, you guys ready to hear my pitch? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Have you guys ever heard of a comment called Boris the Bear? Uh, it rings a bell, but I know. Yeah. No. Let me like tell you. About yeah, no, Boris <laughs> the Bear. Okay. So Boris the Bear uh, was created in uh, 1986. And w- it was literally the second comic put out by Dark Horse Comics. It was created by uh, James Dean Smith, who was a writer artist. And Boris the Bear is an anthropo- anthropomorphic bear. Uh, and he was born out of um, the biggest event in indie comics from the 80s, which was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which... Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out in 1984, and absolutely, even though it started as like the, a scrappy little independent comic, like got huge very quickly and inspired a spat of uh, ripoffs and um, like uh, parodies, like everything from adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters, preteen dirty jean kung fu kangaroos, mildly microwave prepubescent kung fu gophers, geriatric gang- gangrene jujitsu gerbils. These were all parody comics of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that were real comics in the 1980s. Uh, Boris the Bear was uh, created as uh, a kind of send up of that idea. Um, and he's just, he's a, he looks like a teddy bear, uh, but he's heavily armed and every comic just has him brutally attacking and killing 
all these like knockoff Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then eventually the actual Ninja Turtles themselves and then future issues would just go on to have Boris take on parodies of the Transformers uh, Marvel <laughs> comic characters Elf Quest and it ran uh, it has a very kind of unique publishing history uh, where it published under Dark Horse for about the first 12 issues uh, and then the creator had kind of a disagreement with Dark Horse and uh, it was creator owned so he like he took it back and he self-published some books very sporadically um, up until like just about 10 years ago. There's only been about like 40 issues of Boris the Bear in total in that 40 years. Um, but like uh, it comes out occasionally, uh, but all kind of stuck to this general idea of a, a cartoon bear brutally killing other cartoon characters. So that's the obscure comic I want to adapt into a movie. Uh, let me get out my notes here. Um, Okay, so this is this is my pitch uh, for Boris the Bear the movie. Uh, but bear in mind, I don't have an ending for it, so I want to ask you guys to help craft where the <laughs> where the movie should kind of go and end. Um, so here we go. So we starts. Our lead is a film buff and comic book hipster named Quentin who works in a classic old grimy comic book shop in a coastal California town. Think the comic book shop in Lost Boys, which was actually based on a real comic book shop. Uh, he hates that movies have gotten so bland. They're just remakes and ripoffs and superhero franchises. And he also hates that comics are so mainstream. He's a classic gatekeeper. Uh, he wishes someone would put a stop to it so Hollywood would get back to making real art. And he makes this wish while holding holding a tattered dollar bin copy of Boris the Bear number one. And that night, he's working late in the comic book shop, and he hears a sound from the back room. And he goes to investigate it, and oh shit, it's a real-life Boris the Bear. He's been summoned by the power of toxic fandom. <laughs> so Boris looks like, I imagine he looks like Boris the Bear from the comic, but kind of like head uh the yeah that that movie so like three-dimensional <laughs> but still a little cartoony but he looks like a physical bear um and boris believes that he is he is a comic book character uh and that all the superheroes and cartoon characters in movies and tv shows are also the real superheroes and cartoons they just now also exist in this uh real world uh and he wants to put a stop to them violently uh, <laughs> so so we get into a truly over-the-top satire and violent where Quentin helps Boris get an arsenal of weapons and then Boris starts to hunt down these what he thinks are horrible abominations ruining movies and comics which means at first attacking the costume characters outside Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood and then Universal Studios the costume the walk around characters and eventually going after actors who play the characters in movies and TV Boris doesn't understand that these are actors he thinks Ben Affleck <laughs> is Batman and gets really confused <laughs> when he sees footage of Robert Pattinson and Christian Bale as also Batman. Uh, but you know, he's a, a bear's got to do what a bear's got to do. At first, Quentin is, is pleased with this havoc being caused by Boris, but eventually the repercussions and damage done to the comic book and film industry by Boris, because this over-the-top real-life violence, puts his comic book business in jeopardy. No one wants to go to the comic book store because, like, you could get killed. You could get killed. Um, he starts to realize that these movies and these uh, and modern comics actually bring a lot of joy to people's lives. But how can Quentin put the Boris the Bear genie back in the bottle? Really? How can he? Guys, I don't have a resolution. Can you help me? First of all, this sounds like almost like the last action hero. 
<laughs> in the yes. sense that you've got uh, the satire element, but you've also got someone who doesn't understand the the real from the uh, the fiction, and and also the idea that you've got this Ted looking bear. Um, I looked up what Boris the bear looks like. That's freaking hilarious. Like, yes. I I think it would be awesome if there are also like other characters like that, like Care Bears and stuff. <laughs> like, just other, I mean, other, well, just other like like characters. Um, well, I mean, they couldn't they couldn't be in the real world, but it'd be cool be if there the, were some other, huh? They couldn't be the Care Bear. Yeah, they could. Uh, I guess maybe he could wish on another comic. Um, maybe get like a Care Bear type like who could yeah. like talk Boris down. Oh yeah, maybe he brings the Care Bears in. Yeah, or My Little Pony, I don't know. <laughs> I think I if I was ending this, I would you said his name's Quentin, right? Yes. Yeah, I think that I would have to make Quentin not just a comic book like a, you know fan, you know, an example of a toxic fan, but like most comic book fans, he thinks he can do it better. Oh yeah. You know, so he starts putting together his own comic, his own character. And the problem <laughs> is, you know, and maybe Gatekeeper. because he's the only one left, his comic actually starts to gain some traction. And so Boris starts to come after him. And the end of the, the third act of the film is Quentin realizing what he's done, you know, because it's happening to him. Um, although, in my opinion, at the end of this Boris and Quentin both have to die. They both have to. Die. Yeah. No redemption arcs for them. Well, well, it's they can be redeemed in the end, Darth Vader style, or Quentin can. But <laughs> at the end of the day, Quentin unleashed hell on people and liked it. At least the start. Mm-hmm. That so Quentin dude, has to throw Boris Bear down a whatever that is energy shaft. Yes, that dude has to die. Yeah. Uh, but maybe he dies being saved by his new character, or, or you know, or you know, defeating Boris with his new character. But they all have to die at the end, you know, to make sure yeah. this doesn't happen again. Something like that. I, li- I like the idea that he creates a comic and then essentially mm-hmm. wills that character to life as the uh, the only one that can stop Boris. But yeah, like all have to die at the end. Well, or it's it has to be reversed. That works, you know. They all die at the end. <laughs> but I, I, I see it as being like so much more like. If the movie was made, they would spare no expense to get like Hugh Jackman or like to cameo and get killed on camera. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Or shows up at his like Sydney mansion and like blows him up. Um, that kind of over the top. Uh, you need someone like Ryan Reynolds to make it so that they can convince people to do quick cameos, you know? Yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, a- I sort of wonder this might be too much the Hollywood version, even though it makes fun of the Hollywood version, if the old why now, like they're making the Boris the Bear movie, but oh. it's, how should I put it? It's the Hollywood version of edgy, sort of the same way Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles became their version of heavy, which is what? They liked pizza and said cowabunga a lot. Yeah. And that's what drives yeah. Quentin over the edge. That's a cool idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's weird. I was just thinking like, oh, go, Sam. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it's, I was just thinking Turtles started out as a satire of Frank Miller, didn't it? And then, yes. yes. Which That's everyone forgets now that it's been satired dozens of times. That's why they're called the Foot Clan, because, you know, they're a ripoff of the hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, I mean, well, just sort of shows how the rough edges of like an indie product can get sanded down. Just to make it, you know, commercially viable, mm-hmm. which I think that's what happened to Boris, you know. Yeah, like it does make it a lot like uh, that um, uh, Jane Silent Bob movie. Yeah, I'm wondering maybe yeah. the maybe, end- maybe this is just a ripoff of Jane Silent Bob. <laughs> <laughs> 
Although I'm wondering if it's, uh, we were mentioning Black Mirror. There was, oh God, what is it? The, the mm-hmm. one where you have to earn credits to be on the reality show. Oh, Weird. yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe Boris the Bear goes into the crappy Hollywood Boris the Bear movie to destroy Boris the Bear, which is then the end of the Boris the Bear movie. So Quentin realizes his rebellious vision finally gets co-opted by Hollywood. You you know, a depressing thing. You can't beat the system, but you know. Oh, okay. Very black. Okay. Can't beat the system. <laughs> Technology! I think, I think the idea of um, Quentin being this gatekeeper just makes me think of what would be like the most entry-level, um, widely popular superhero that could come to life and then that would be the one that destroys this you know hipster comic book store owner and and his whole plot to kind of get rid of the the uh, superhero franchises and stuff so i'm just trying to think like who would that character be that would just really piss him off and like for some reason that that one it's out of his control quentin isn't isn't the one who brings that character into the real world but that character is like the cringiest character i mean i don't maybe it's like george clooney's batman or something i don't know but It's the the cringiest one that is really pisses him off. Like of everything, his whole motivation of um, wanting to be gatekeeper. What's the thing that would be so ridiculous to take down, uh, take him down in his quest? I just don't know. No, based based on him being kind of this toxic fandom, it would be uh, uh-huh. like a, a Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan. It would be it Ooh. would be a new character, like legacy uh-huh. character, or or a gender swap, like a uh, gender bent one. <laughs> yeah, like where it'd be like, what? Why are they making so and so a girl? Like that kind of like. <laughs> angry <laughs> comic skater kind of thing Ooh, um, like that the, that character like coming to prominence or like what why why is she getting a movie like that that character like being born into life and stopping should it just be captain marvel yeah like it's just brie larson like that would actually yeah. be great it's actually brie larson yeah <laughs> okay tomorrow it's actually brie larson yeah <laughs> yeah like Although it would be cool, Captain Marvel gets killed, so Brie Marvel, Brie, Brie, you know, rises to defend. Yeah, that would. There we go. Brie Larson versus Boris the Bear. That's my pitch. <laughs> and on that, she trains, note, man. She, she's tough. All right, so we have brought up some great lesser-known and obscure comic books and turned them into fabulous movies. We have done our jobs well, panel, and I thank you for your dedication and hard work on this one. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Burn After Pitching. So, panelists, please tell us where our listeners can find you and what they can do to support you and your geniusness. Let's start with uh, let's start with Justin, our newcomer, our, our fresh one. Uh, well, like I said, I post a new page of Hunter Black, my hard-boiled fantasy webcomic, at hunterblackcomics.com every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, just checking out the comic is huge. You know, it's all up there for free. We, uh, I am getting ready to post page, like, 1,437. So there's plenty of material up there. Um, and if you like it, you can become a patron. So that would be awesome. And follow me on Twitter at hunterblackcomx. Awesome. All right, Sandra. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Hey It's Sandra D. And um, you know, I edit other people's books, so nothing that I'm writing about, but you can just follow my shenanigans and keep listening to Burn After Pitching because um your pitches are amazing and I'd love to hear your thoughts on 
everyone's pitches. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And let us know, <laughs> you know, who did we forget? Who's the obscure comic book character that you think deserves a movie? Oh, yeah. You do your plugs. I'll, I'll plug away. Well, just to, to, to piggyback off Sandro, the, the one, feel free to share yours. But also, um, if you could, maybe leave a review for this podcast. They really do help. Uh, I do web comics and books. Everything I do is uh, findable at andynordvall.com. And working on a bunch of stuff, but nothing I can talk about yet. Excellent. And I'm Michael Tanner. Uh, please check out my new series, Orcs in Space, available in comic book stores now. Uh, kind of on fun uh, side topic here, since we've been talking a lot about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, actually uh, inked one of the variant covers for an upcoming issue of uh, Orcs in Space. So be sure to ask your local comic store about getting on that hot little item. Uh, this has been Burn After Pitching from the Grand Geek Gathering Network. Thank you again to our guests. Now, if you listeners have a pitch for us for this episode or any episode please tweet at us using the hashtag burning pitch and while you're there on the twitters follow us at burn pitching and follow our mother network the grand geek gathering at the grand geek g at twitter you know how twitter works also check out the website thegrandgeekgathering.com where you can find articles reviews and links to other great podcasts and content our theme music was done by carlisle laurent and i know you have a lot of competition for your ears so again thank you for listening i hope you have a wonderful day and we'll see you next month. And don't forget to GGG. GGG. All right. Now I'm going to tell Craig to leave. Get out of here, Craig. Get out of here. Bird, bird.